0: today is the September 5th, 2012, and tonight's message is a reflection of dirt. Are y'all intrigued? So I'm going to tell y'all the chemical composition of dirt. We've got some... Sli- no, I'm just joking. I couldn't pull it together, guys. I'm sorry. Okay, let's turn to Isaiah 48, and while y'all are turning, I'll kind of introduce this a little bit. Um... The Lord began to speak to me about testimonies. And it's so awesome that Mike said what he said. when Because he, he, he didn't know what I'm preaching. But um, he stood up here th- this evening and um, gave the testimony about his daughter. And I just thought, man, this is awesome. This is right in line with what God was showing me. Um, when you first come to Jesus, you really kind of come to Jesus based on the testimony of others, right? You know, you've heard about Jesus from somebody witnessing to you. Maybe you've read his word. Maybe you've interacted with people and you've seen Jesus, but it's it's not your personal testimony that you have yet that gets you in the kingdom. But then God slam dunks you, and that's how you know you're born again because you have that first personal, boom, interaction with Jesus, and that begins your testimony. So if I say Cody, what's your testimony? Or if I said, Kathleen, what's your testimony? Most people would respond with, well, I was born again in 19, <laughs> or whenever you were born again, and you start there. But that's... That's just the beginning. Right. We know that 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 belief is just the beginning. Our testimony is just the beginning. And what we should be moving into is not so much relying on other people's testimony about who God is. But our own interaction with him is telling us who God is, because we have a picture of who God is in this word. And we believe this because we know this is this is the truth. But when we actually interact with Jesus, this comes alive and it becomes real. God finally becomes real because we have a revelation of who he is based on our own personal interaction. So when God killed Anna... Mike and Jennifer got a, a personal revelation of God is a healer. They knew that before and they believed that, but now they know to them God is a healer. And that's what Amen. we need to be moving through in our walk with Jesus. Amen. We need to constantly be at a state of intimacy with him so that we're having these kind of personal interactions and it's testimony upon testimony upon testimony that's building. Um, so that's just a okay, that's just the beginning. That's not even we're not I don't know why I went there, but are y'all on Isaiah 48? Yes. <laughs> That's just a kind of introduction. Okay, we're, we're going to read verse 17. I'm not there. Yes, I, I am. 17. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you. Why does he need to teach us what's best for us? Big clue. Because we don't know, right? We think we know. We don't know. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. We all want to go our own way, but obviously we don't know what we're doing. We need him. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like the number, numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. So the opposite, let's apply the opposite there. If I would pay attention to his commands, if I would let him teach me what's best for me, if, I, if I'll let him direct me in the way I should go, then my peace will be like a river. <coughs> my righteousness will be like the waves of the sea. What, it, what is that image? The waves of the sea, they keep coming. They never end. They never stop. It's a continuous motion. You have one wave of righteousness after another, one testimony after another. And my descendants will be like the sand. The fruit of my life will be like the sand if I do these things, if I let the Lord teach me. So we're going to talk a little bit, this is kind of the foundation laying section of it, so y'all just bear with me as we go through a little bit of word study. Not too deep, but. Um, have y'all ever read Proverbs? Y'all read Proverbs? Okay, we talked a lot about wisdom. talks a lot about knowledge, discernment, prudence, all this. And all these words kind of just get confusing because you're... You're trying to separate, okay, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? And what's the difference between counsel and discernment? What are all these differences? So I'm going to try to uh, clear that up a little bit. I, I don't have all the answers, but this is what the Lord showed me this week. Um, turn to Proverbs 1.7. This is a very familiar scripture. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so wisdom, scoot on over a couple pages to 8.14, Proverbs 8.14. We know that wisdom begins by fearing the Lord. Am I flunking too much? Okay, Um, here's some insight into wisdom, starting 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Okay, so what are all these words? That's that's great, but I don't understand the difference between them. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. So we know that wisdom is fearing the Lord, right? So wisdom is hating evil, hating pride. I hate pride and arrogance. I hate evil behavior and perverse speech. And it says that counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. So we know that wisdom is to hate evil, and you have counsel and sound judgment. Okay, Um, Back up to 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Knowledge is pretty easy to me. Knowledge, to me, is just kind of the facts, information, just base information. So I'm just going to put info, right? Well, what is discretion? Discretion is using wisdom to know, um, using wisdom to know how to apply knowledge. Okay, so it's the, it's the correct application of knowledge. It's good judgment in your conduct. It always employs self-control. One good example of this is Proverbs twelve twenty-three, and I'll just read that to y'all. This is, um, we were talking about this the other night in Foundations when Pastor Eric was preaching on um, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs 12, 23, for those of y'all with a mouth problem like me. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. So this right here means just because you know something doesn't mean you need to say it. And that to me is discretion. You ever heard the scripture, um, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman that shows no discretion. Just Running her mouth, blurting out just horrible things, not keeping a tight rein on her tongue. So, discretion usually has to do with, with your speech, but it's the application of knowledge using wisdom. Okay? Now, this is where we're going kind to of get to something good. The word discretion comes from, can y'all see this? Um, okay, like the root word would be discreet, right? And that comes from the root word discern. So watch this how this is this is kind of neat discern is actually a French word and the dis means apart and discern means to sift so to, to discern something is to sift apart and this is going to be important throughout the whole message to sift apart um, when you use discernment, a lot of times we say, oh, you have the gift of discernment because you can discern spirits. You can kind of discern what's going on in the spiritual realm. That's one application of it. But discernment in the use of wisdom is to sift and separate, to, to look at a situation and by the filter of God's word to sift out what needs to be there. Okay? And then there's action that comes from that. And the action that comes from your discernment is prudence. And prudence is kind of like an old-fashioned word. We don't really use that. And so when I came across it in the scripture, I was like, prudence? It sounds like an old grandma's name, right? I mean, somebody might have a grandma named prudence. It sounds like an old-fashioned name. And to me, it's an old-fashioned word. But what it is is prudence is the use of discernment. It's the good, uh, it's kind of like discretion. Okay, discretion has more to do with your speech. Prudence has more to do with your action. Okay, so let's move on from there. Now, turn to Ecclesiastes 1.7. Were you reading that recently? Yes. Okay, so I was reading this the other day, and this just jumped out to me, Ecclesiastes 1-7. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. This is such a good reflection of where our heart is, right? If we rely and we operate in the realm of emotions, and we're trying to fulfill the emotions in our life and what our emotions desire, this is is what it speaks to us. All streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. It's never satisfied. Nothing is ever good enough. So if you're looking to fulfill and to quiet your emotions, you're never gonna be satisfied, you're never gonna be full. Have that picture in your mind of just streams filling the sea, It's just a constant day-in, day-out thing, and the sea is never full. We can't get our source from that. A few times back I preached on where's your source and your source being from Jesus, right? That's where our source needs to be. So we can't operate in the realm of emotions. If it's not God's work in your life, then it's meaningless. So if you're operating in that realm of emotion, then it's meaningless. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to get to the end of my days. And feel like I've wasted time. Matt and I were listening to some old Motown the other night. He was raised on Motown. I'm more of a seventies baby. But it's classic rock. But he likes the Motown. And we're listening to um, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, and you know
1: that
0: song. Oh, it's been great. <laughs> Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, wasting time, right? That came to me and it's like, Well that's great and everybody praises that, but I don't want to sing that at the end of my life, that I wasted time. I'm just I just sat here and I wasted time pursuing things that were meaningless. So the, the whole point of all this is I want you to know that discernment is great. Wisdom, all of this is great. We can get that from the Word of God. But there's one thing that we can't discern. We're not capable of discerning, and that's what's going on in our own hearts. We're not capable of understanding our own hearts. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm yeah. 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going, da- going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. I don't know about y'all, but there's a lot of times things fly out of my mouth, and I don't even know what I'm about to say. It just flies out. There's there's a lack of self control on this tongue a lot of times, but He knows it. He can see this. He discerns these things. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This is not something that's in the realm of us being able to attain, what goes on in our own heart. God is the only one that can see into that. So we have to rely on him to reveal this to us. Amen. Go to 23. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's got to be our cry. We've got to recognize the depravity of our own, our hearts. It's deceptive. It's that emotion, uh, emotional realm that we like to dwell in and it's deceptive. We think we know what our motives are, but we need the Lord to uncover them for us. He's the only one that can see these things. So this this prayer, this is David's prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Uncover this and reveal it to me. Show me how to fix it, because I can't do this. I'm relying on you. This is an example of why we need pruning and correction. Y'all ever seen a tree pruned Matt was showing us an example one night when we, heard, we had a singles meeting about our fig tree. A lot of times when they prune back a fig tree, they cut it down to where there's nothing there. I know when we cut back our ginger in the winter, we cut it down to, to just the stump. And there's a root below, and we're having faith that, come summertime, when the sun and the water and all that return, that this thing is gonna bear fruit above. But right now, all I see is dead leaves. And the same thing with the fig tree. When you cut it back, why? It's got too many leaves, it needs to produce more fruit. Well, that's in the natural realm. What does that correlate to in the spiritual realm? That's correction. So when we have correction in our lives and we're resisting this, we're resisting the work of God laying our hearts bare. Okay, so now we're going to get to the good stuff. This is the fun stuff. I want to talk to you all about Judas and Peter. Let's turn to Mark 14. I was reading in Mark. And I don't know why, this never had jumped out at me before, but it was just kind of the way... Sometimes when you read scripture, you open the book, and you might read a scripture, which leads you to another scripture and all that, but when you actually read a book in linear fashion, certain things open up to you that didn't before. And when I started looking at the way all of this played out, this kind of jumped out at me. Starting in... um, Okay, we're in 14, verse 1. Now the Passover... And the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but, if, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, which she has done will also be told in memory of her. Amen. So he rebuked her. He rebuked them, right? They're all murmuring. They're, they're mad at this lady for wasting this money because it could go to feed the poor. And Jesus rebukes them. But look at verse ten. Right after this, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him the money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This right here spoke huge to me. Jesus rebuked them, and because it, it said some of those present. It wasn't just Judas who said this. It wasn't just one person. It was a couple of the disciples said this. Jesus rebukes them, and then Judas immediately leaves to go out to betray Jesus, right? And now he's going to look for an opportune time. He was rebuked, and how did he receive the correction? Offended, You're not doing this the right way. I don't understand why you're wasting money like this. You're saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're saying all these harsh things, calling people dogs, Jesus. I just, this isn't going to work. I'm going to force you to actually bring forth the kingdom. So we're going to go and bring this thing to a head. And he's taking it into his own hands. Well, what was the end result of Judas? Death, right? He was offended. He responded out of his offense. And death was the result. So let's look at Peter. This is the only occasion that I found y'all might um, be able to find more of when Judas directly was offended but Peter y'all know has been rebuked hundreds of times it seems like in the Bible and um let's go over a couple of these I'm sorry y'all I'm just I got nerves I'm trying to calm down because this is really good and I really want to get to that And I don't want the nerves to disturb what Jesus is trying to do so y'all pray for me okay um, I want to go through a couple of these, and I want y'all to see how Peter responds, and I want y'all to I want y'all to see the difference between this because we're going to get to something. Where we're going to start talking about dirt here in a minute, and you'll be able to see the difference here. Okay, Matthew 15:16. Let's turn quickly there. This is just awesome because I, I think I would have been mad for a couple days at least. 15:16. <coughs> okay, 15:15. 15, 15. 15, he replied, Every plant that the heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. That's kind of confusing to me. I don't really kind of understand what he's talking about. I would have asked Jesus, Hey, explain this to us, Jesus. So Peter says that. Explain the parable to us. And Jesus says to Peter, Are you still so dull? I'm sorry, but if my pastor said, "Are you still so dull?" My husband said, "Are you so?" My friend said, "Are you still so dull?" I would be offended. Wouldn't you be offended if, you, like, you don't get this? I mean, that's kind of a stepping on the toes. Jesus is telling them this because they're not paying attention. They're not be- paying close enough attention. They don't understand the time that is at hand here, and they're not paying attention. So he's trying to wake them up. But that's an offensive statement. So what does Peter do? Do you see him run off? No. He's still there. Turn the chapters, you see his name again. He's still there. He didn't leave. Turn turn the page to 1623. This is what happens right after this. Um, 1615, this is what Mike was talking about earlier. 1615, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So obviously he's not offended. He's not mad at Jesus. He's not harboring bitterness here. Okay, I need to wake up. I don't understand, Lord. I'm trying. I'm trying to get this right. Help me to get this right. I, I don't I, everybody's saying you're this and that, but I, all I can see is that you're the Christ. You're this, you're the living God. Amen. 23. Here we go. Another, another rebuke. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now Peter is rebuking Jesus here. Okay, so that's This sounds like me, I don't know about y'all, I like to take control of things. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. (laughs) Jesus just told him, I need to die and be raised. Peter says, no, no, we're not going to let this happen, Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes, I'll protect you, don't worry about it. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That would have crushed me. I just want y'all to know. If I had been with Jesus from the beginning like Peter had and been walking with him and trying to get this right and he said, you're a stumbling block to me, you have not mind the things of men, well, wait, Lord, what about this, though? I did good in this area, and what about this time? I got it right here, and what about when you called me to walk on the water? I did, right? I did. I did all these things. How can I have in mind the things of men? I'm trying to follow you. And Jesus is revealing his heart to him. Peter, you got in mind the things of men. You don't even know what you're saying. You're deceived by your own emotions. You're deceived by your own heart. It's not something that can be trusted. Get behind me. You're getting in the way of this. What about John 6? This is the best one. And this really illustrates the attitude that we have to take. John 6:60. 6, This is right after he tells them you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, which we all know in our culture that would be offensive, but in the Jews' culture especially offensive because they were not allowed to even touch the blood, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and people leave. on On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Yes. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. How do you think he knows this? Because the way they're responding to him, when he says these things, how how do they respond? He knows who's going to betray him based on their response. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And this is what we're talking about. The Father enabling you to come to Jesus is him revealing to you the condition of your heart and you responding in the correct way. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And who speaks up first? Loudmouth Peter. Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the very words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: And this is kind of the situation that I find myself in a lot, okay? I'm corrected a lot because I have a lot of flaws. I don't know about y'all, but I am corrected on a constant basis. And what's hard for me is that I feel like I'm at a point in my walk, not from a prideful stance, but just I feel like I'm at a point in my walk where I'm getting it right most of the time, or else I hope so. My sister's shaking her head back there. No, you're not. (laughs) I feel like I've maybe achieved a little ground with Jesus. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. So whenever I'm corrected, now the problem isn't that I'm mad that somebody's looking into my life, because I've tried to learn to love correction. I've tried to apply that scripture to my life. To, to love correction, to see it as an oil on my head, to know that it's for my benefit. Okay, so I don't hate it when it's given to me, but my first reaction when it's given to me now is, but that, that's not my heart. That's not my, my heart, wasn't it, for it to be that way? When my husband brings up something to me, or my best friend brings up something to me, or my pastor brings up something to me, I'm like, but, they, but they, y'all don't understand. That's not my heart. That's not what I intended. And they're very gently reminding me, that's okay, that's not what you intended, but that is what you're doing. And you need to correct it, because there's there's consequences in this, okay? You're kind of sprouting off a leaf over here, you're not really producing fruit. So we're going to cut this off, and I'm going to help you redirect so that you can be more fruitful. And it's painful, it's painful to get pruned, it's painful to get corrected, because you feel like doing what's right, and even my best isn't good enough, right? We all throw that p- pity party. I, I, who says that? My best isn't good enough. Even when I try my hardest, it's not good enough for them. They're just not happy with me. Okay, we all throw these little pity parties, and we got to pull ourselves up out of it and stop acting like that, because that is that Proverbs 12.1. He who hates correction is... Stupid. Natalie knows. <laughs> we got it written on our spoon. <laughs> he who hates correction is stupid. We've got to pull ourselves out of these things. We cannot be resistant to the pruning of the Holy Spirit. And it comes through people that are flawed. And so I'm just going to take a sidetrack here. A lot of times what um, your first reaction is when you're corrected is to point out the flaws in the person correcting you. But really the truth of the matter is is that you don't like the fact that you're being corrected for whatever reason. Either you hate correction or maybe you're at the place I'm at where you love it but you still kind of don't want it because you think you're good enough right? That arrogance, that spiritual arrogance that you get to, for whatever reason, you cannot respond that way. We cannot do these things. We've got to be able to be corrected. We cannot live in um, the state of being stupid and hating correction. It's an oil on our heads. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the washing of the disciples' feet, John 13:6. This really illustrates this, because my heart goes out to Peter, right? Jesus they just had dinner, right? Or they're fixing to have dinner. Jesus takes off his outer garments, wraps it around his waist, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. That would embarrass me. I mean, not not because I have feet issues. I don't have feet issues. I get pedicures with the best of them. <laughs> but it would embarrass me to have Jesus serve me in that way. It just it it would be very uncomfortable. And there's been times when recently matter of fact, my husband suggested something to me and it made me very uncomfortable because I didn't want to, um, it's that false humility. You don't want to appear prideful, but in the, trying to avoid pride, you're actually acting out of pride. Oh, no, don't do that for me. Why not? Why not? Why not let someone bless you? Why not do it the right way? Why not be um, a recipient of a blessing and, and demonstrate that in the correct way? So Peter right here is like, Lord, no. This is John 13, 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because Peter's the one that gets rebuked all the time, okay? Maybe Jesus is going around the room and he's washing everybody else's, and he's like, certainly not me, Lord. I mean, you're mad at me all the time. I don't get anything right. You're not going to wash my feet, right? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, poor Peter, I mean, he thinks he's saying this from a pure heart. Jesus, don't. Oh, God, you're too great for, for to bow down at my feet and let me wash your feet. To me, that, that would be a justifiable motivation, right? But he's about to uncover Peter's heart. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And this is kind of weird. When Jesus replies like this, it's kind of a confusing statement. You're kind of like, really, what does that have to do with it? I mean, I thought we were talking about whether you wash my feet or I wash your feet. Turn to um, John 15:3. I think it will just be a page over for most of you. So I, We'll start in 1. Then he skips to, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And he says, remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and goes back to fruit. Okay, it's it's kind of a confusing statement. And he's telling Peter that you're clean. This is not about you being clean. This is not about you needing your whole head washed. I've been with you the whole time, and you're missing what I've been doing for you. I have been washing your feet this entire time, Peter. You didn't realize this. I'm washing your feet by revealing the state of your heart and I'm showing you how to correct it so that you can be more fruitful. Let's, let's go, I want to skip to something real quick. I want to talk to y'all about the four soils because this is the heart of everything. <coughs> okay, we're just gonna skip this. I'm not gonna do the whiteboard. Y'all just have to take good notes, okay? <laughs> okay, um, Brandon, will you turn to Matthew 13? J.J., turn to Mark 4, and Dustin, turn to Luke 8 for us. Okay, uh, verse 3 through 8, Brandon.
1: Then he told them many things in parables, saying, The farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times more of the so.
0: Okay, skip to 19 and read through 23.
1: When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in its heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. But he produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what
0: was sold. Okay, I'm going to break these soils down for you real real quick, because this is going to be, this is the heart. The title message is a reflection of dirt. And we like to say, well, I'm not the first seed, and I'm certainly not the second seed, and I'm trying not to be the third seed. I won't want to be the fourth seed. But these are actually stages that you go through also. So let's break this down. Seed one is on the path, right? As soon as it's heard, Satan takes it away. Um, in Matthew, they don't it says they don't understand it. In Luke, um, it says they will not believe and be saved. Okay, so this seed is sprinkled on this on this path that has been trodden down. It does not even enter the dirt. It does not even die and can be born again, okay? So this is someone who is is not born again at all. The seed never dies and comes forth. Said that the seed had to die for there to be life, right? So this is all the classification of people who have heard the word that you've witnessed to and they've just rejected it, not born again. Seed two is the rocky places. And in it, we don't have much soil right? This is someone with a hard heart. It's mostly rocks and stones. But they hear the word and they receive it with joy. It springs up quickly, but there is no root. The sun scorches it because it can't draw nutrients from the ground. Um, this comes from trouble, persecution, or testing. They fall away. Okay, so uh, when you receive Jesus, right? We mm-hmm. receive. When you receive Jesus, your initial testimony, You received Jesus with joy. I know I had joy once I repented of my sins and I received him and his Holy Spirit flooded in me. I received it with joy. And immediately I wanted to tell the world about it. I wanted to tell everybody. I called old friends that I used to run around with, you know, and told them, I've been born again, and they all thought I was crazy. There was joy there. There was a lot of zeal there. Well, I could have stopped there because if I didn't dig deep and break up that rocky ground in my heart, then I'd have no roots. And so when trouble and persecution would come, then I would dry up, right? I'd weather away. These are people who are born again. These are the people that fall away. They never let the word penetrate, penetrate their heart and change it. These are the ones, this is why Pastor has been talking about the sinner's prayer a lot lately. Because this is the kind of result that you get a lot of times when someone doesn't count the cost. This is those who wanted to be rescued from their situation. It's bad enough that I'll cry out to Jesus, but I'm not really counting what the rest is required of me. So there's no roots. There's no anchor for it. And as soon as someone says, what? You're a Christian? Don't throw away your music. Don't do this. They get sucked back into the world, and they get scorched, and they fall away. Okay, c three and seed four is where most of us operate in. Most of us are pretty serious about the Lord. I would say I, I know almost everybody in here, I believe, y'all all love the Lord. Right? We received the word. It fell on decent soil. But what happens? It's not it's not growing right. Um, in Mark. Who's got the mark scripture? JJ, yes. look in Mark um, in fourteen, somewhere in there where it talks about the third seed that fell on thorny places. What did it say? Be like more, mark 15. Uh, word. Some people are like to see long path for the seed along the path
1: the with the word of Son. others, like seeds on rocky places, hear the word and have wanted to see the before. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. The trouble of persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds on thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful.
0: Okay, stop there. So we're not talking about a seed that didn't enter the soil. We're not talking about a seed that doesn't have roots. We're talking about someone that would qualify as a born-again Christian. But the difference between this seed and the next seed is the lack of fruit. The deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this world, all the other things that are going on around you, choke it out, causes you to grow um, incorrectly. This is also someone who resists correction, right? You're worried about this. You're protecting this. Your, your own personal desires resist God correcting you, God pruning you. This is where Judas is, okay? You're born again, but you're selfish and self-centered. You refuse correction. You refuse the pruning, and therefore you're not productive. And I don't think any of us in here want to be unproductive. This is the leaf producer, right? You had a whole, a whole bunch of leaves, and there's not a whole lot of fruit. So you look very religious. And you can praise Jesus and you can sway in the winds and you can do all the right things and you can prophesy and you can do all these things. There's no fruit, there's nothing to feed anyone. Let's turn to Isaiah 29.
1: Amen. Amen. 29,
0: 13. The Lord says this, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. I don't want to be among those that honor the Lord with with my lips because that's just a leaf producer. There's no fruit on that vine. Let's look at the seed with the um, seed number four with the good soil. Dustin, you had Luke, the Luke scripture. Read um, I think it's Luke 8.8. 8, or right before that 8.7. Try Luke 87. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and
1: yielded a crop a hundred times more than it was sown.
0: Okay, um, skip down to 15.
1: But the seed on good soils uh, stands for those with a noble and good heart. Who hears the word, retains it, and by persevering produces a
0: crop. So he's giving it to you right there. How do you produce a crop? You hear the word, that's C2, right? You, You heard it, it dropped into your soil. You retain it, that's C3. We're not going to not have roots of the seed, too. We've actually got roots. We're retaining it, And now we're going to persevere. We're going to persevere past our worries, past the deceitfulness of wealth, past all of these things, and we're actually going to produce fruit. This is the born-again fruitful person. This is someone who is walking in obedience to God.
1: Amen.
0: So I want to talk to you about how what this looks like in Peter's life. Uh, Mark 118. This was pretty cool. I was reading this, and I don't know. I... I like to get out of the realm of Bible characters and actually look at these people like they are real people, because they were, and this was a real occurrence when this happened. And in Mark 1, 16, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Well, that's kind of bizarre. I think there's a little bit more to the story, right? He didn't just walk up and say, hey, follow me. He's preaching to him. In another um, gospel, it talks about him preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he's talking to these guys, and he's examining their heart, and he's throwing that gospel, he's throwing that word of God out there, and he's waiting to see, is it going to take root? And it says, at once, they left their nets and followed him. Mm -hmm. To me, that's moving past... The soil one, right? They've passed that test. They're in soil two now. Mm-hmm. They've passed that test. They have received it with joy, and you see an immediate action. Amen. Okay, turn to Luke 22. We am do a lot of flipping. Sorry. There, 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 there.
1: Okay,
0: so Jesus... Jesus is examining Peter's heart this whole time, right? He's doing this with all of his disciples. That's how he knew who would betray him. So right here, um, Jesus warned Peter that he would deny him. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, I will now die with you today. What are you talking about? I'll die with you. He says, Peter, you don't even know your own heart. You can't sift your heart. You You don't understand these things. Satan has asked to sift you, Peter. You can't understand these things. You will deny me today. And he says, no, Lord, I'm going to die with you. But then what happens? In 2254, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. So that's persecution right there, right? There's a chance that Peter will be dragged in with Jesus and beaten right next to him and flogged right next to him, and Peter denies it. He didn't pass soul 2 right here. He's not passing this. He denied Jesus. Jesus knew it, but Jesus didn't give up on him. Amen. In Luke 18, 28... He's talking to the rich man. He says, sell everything you have. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. I'll leave wealth. I'll leave whatever it is you ask me. See, Jesus had already seen that he had good soil. Just because he made a mistake in soil too, that was later, doesn't mean that Jesus gave up on him. He had already passed. He'd already shown Jesus. I just need help in this, Lord. I'm trying. Amen. I'm trying. Amen. I may not get this right all the time, but I do have roots, Lord. I've left everything. I'm not going to get choked out by these weeds. I'm not going to get choked out by deceitfulness of wealth or the worries of the world. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. But you got to help me. And in the soil for how he passed, the, how he passed into this is, he was the first to believe about the resurrection, right? The ladies come running back and saying. Jesus isn't in the tomb, and everybody else is laughing at them because they're just silly women, right? <laughs> just silly women. But Peter gets up and runs to the tomb, and John's running after him. He, he's the first to believe this. And then he gets reinstated by Jesus, and this is where it really gets beautiful. Y'all turn to John 21. This whole time that Jesus has been interacting with Peter, he's been testing the soil of his heart. Peter, where are you? Where, where, where are you with me? What do you believe about this? Okay? You, you may not be deceit, de, um, choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth. You may not have these vines growing, but there's some rocky places in you. Your, your roots aren't deep enough. Look at this. You're running from persecution. But he's not giving up on him, and he doesn't give up on us. So in John twenty-one Amen. fifteen, this is after Jesus has um, resurrected, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He's offended, right? But how is he going to respond? Jesus, Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. How can you feed anyone if you don't have fruit on your vine? This is Jesus' endorsement of Peter. This is saying, okay, we got some issues, and I'm going to work with you, Peter. But listen, I see fruit here, and now I'm going to entrust you. He He gave Peter the ministry to the Jews. That's in, I don't know, somewhere in Galatians or 1 Corinthians somewhere, he had the ministry to the Jews. Paul was giving the ministry to the Gentiles, but Peter was giving it to the Jews. He said, feed my sheep. He couldn't do that if he wasn't producing fruit. If it was all religious experience, God would have cast him out, Jesus would have cast him out like he did the Pharisees. But he saw fruit on this. This is a recognition. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is an endorsement of Jesus. Okay, so how do we defeat our third soil problem. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10.5. How do we not get tangled up in the worries and the cares of this world? Because they're real. Y'all are all sitting here on a Wednesday night struggling with whatever's been going on this week, the worries and the cares of this world that are very real. They're not, we're not going to pretend like they don't exist. You have problems, you have issues, you have needs. So how do we deal with these? Second Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. To me, pretension means pretend situation. And women, we are really, really good at this, right? We are good at seeing something that might be in the future and making a whole soap opera scenario about what's going to happen and what they're going to say and what I'm going to say. We do this. We make these pretend situations. And some of you guys, y'all know, y'all do it too. So. <laughs> okay. We do this, right? But we're going to demolish these things. We're going to demolish the arguments that go on in our head of, is Jesus really going to come through? Is this? I mean, it's real to other people, but is it going to be real to me in this situation? We're going to demolish this. We're going to do like Mike and Jennifer did, and we're going to stand firm on the word. And we're going to trust that Jesus is who he said he is. We're not going to let pretensions occupy our mind. We're going to let the word of God wash us and occupy our mind. We we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So what does that mean, to take captive your thoughts? It's not bad that a thought enters your mind, but what you do with it. Do you dwell on it? How long do you let it stay there? Are you getting comfortable with it? Has it just become a part of your life that you feel like, well, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. If you feel like that, if you feel like you have no choice in your pattern of thinking, it's because you fed that thinking too long and you need to kill it. We need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to who? You? No. Because we don't have the power to make thoughts obedient. We don't even know how to examine our own hearts. We don't have that power. We make it obedient to Christ. Lord, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to trust what your word has said about this situation. Turn to Hebrews 4. 4, 4.12. What is the Word of God good for? The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It Amen. penetrates Amen. even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Here it is, big and bold. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You are not qualified. I am not qualified to judge my own heart. Every time I think I'm doing something for one reason, the Lord uncovers it and shows, it, shows me, no, this is really a selfish motivation. Nope, this you were just trying to protect yourself in this instant. We've been, I'm going to tell it myself. Y'all ready? Okay, we've been developing this homeschool thing, right? And this has been something that I felt God gave me this vision. This was birthed in my heart, and I'm just, I'm passionate about it. God gave it to me. When God gives you something, you run with it, okay? Well, God told me something, but... I kind of added on a little bit right here, and I interpreted it this way, and I thought it needed to look this way, and I all, I all had good motives about it. Well, no, I'm doing this because I care about this person. I'm doing this because I want the kids to have this. And this is all for them. This isn't about me. This is about the kids. This is about these families. I want, And there's a lot of my heart that is in that realm. But I can't rightly judge everything that's in there. And the Lord began to kind of sift through all of this. He began, have you ever seen a sifter? Have you ever sift flour? What gets left? The big, chunky, rocky places, right? The things that would prevent you from growing deep roots. The Lord began to sift and uncover these things for me and show me right here. This is all great, Cassidy. That's great. I'm proud of you. Wonderful. Let's, let's deal with the real issue here.
1: Amen. This Amen. is
0: selfishness. Amen. This is protectionism. And when you stop and you, and you actually examine what people are telling you, then you're actually allowing correction to come into your life, and you can be healed, and you can bear more fruit. Because if you hold on to this rock, where are the roots going to go? Where are the nutrients going to go? How are you going to produce fruit if you're holding on to this? If you're worried about all of these things out here, and you're letting this wrap around you, you're not going to produce fruit. The correction comes so that you can produce more fruit. You've got to allow that to happen in your life. Hebrews 4, 12, we read that. The, Lord, the Word judges the thoughts and attitudes of our, our, of our heart. 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It's hidden from us, but it's not hidden from Him. And though you think you might be hiding it from Him, you're not hiding anything. He sees it all. Amen. Everything Amen. is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him Hallelujah. to whom we must give an account. I'm going to stand before Jesus one day. And um, this was a couple Sundays ago. I had a brief glimpse of his throne room during worship, and it was awesome. And it was just this precious thing that I felt like Jesus did for me because, um, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes in worship I get distracted, and I don't really have that focus. You kind of need, where are you, Jesus? I I need somewhere to focus. And he just showed me his robe. You know, he's sitting on the throne, I just saw the robe kind of flowing down over him. And it was like, oh my God, I just got a sense of how real he is. And the thought overwhelms me, okay, I'm really going to stand before him and give an account. I'm really, that's really going to happen. This is not just a fairy tale. This isn't just, you better be good or Santa Claus isn't going to bring you any presents. This is a real thing. We're going to stand before him one day and we're going to give an account for these things. And if I don't let him lay bare what's going on in my heart and correct that, what excuse do I have when I stand before him? i got nothing. I might enter in, but it'll be naked. I mean, think about that. If you're a tree and all you have is leaves, what is he going to do to that? He says he cuts it down and throws it into the fire. So you may be just a little stump in the house of God. I, I don't want to be a stump in the house of God. I want to feed his sheep. I want to take care of his lambs. I want to do these things so I can stand before him and give an account and him be proud of me. I desperately desire for his affirmation. I want him to be proud of me.
1: Amen. Amen. Five. Look at um, chapter five, verse
0: 14. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The only way that we are able to distinguish good from evil is by constant use of God's Word. It's a training. It's an exercise. It's a daily application. You cannot expect to read God's Word on Sundays and Wednesdays when someone's preaching to you or maybe once or twice a week and not actually apply it to what's going on in your life. I was talking with a couple the other night, and I said, where is Jesus actively in your life right now? What does he look like? Because if he looks like only when you enter this building or only when you talk to one of these Christians on the phone, Jesus is not real. He needs to be real when you wake up in the morning. He's the first thing that you think about. I mean that. I mean when you wake up in the morning, the first thing is not what am I going to wear to work and what am I going to eat for breakfast and are my kids clothes clean, wear their tennis shoes. Those are all real things that we have to deal with. The first thing in the morning is... If you got to get up early, get up early so that the first thing you think about is him and you have time to interact with him. When you're going through your day and you're hitting obstacle after obstacle and you're frustrated and nothing seems to be calming the storm inside of you, where is my source? If I'm trying to feed my emotions so that they'll quiet down, if those streams flowing into the sea, I'll never be full enough. You can feed your emotions all day long and they'll never be satisfied. You have to get your source from Jesus. It has to be real in that situation. If you're looking at your checkbook and you don't know how you're going to make the bills this week, you have to know that Jesus is going to come through for you. It cannot be a, oh, God, I'm in trouble. Lord, help me now. It's, okay, Lord, this is the situation. I'm aware of it. But you know what? I know you're good, and I know you're not going to abandon me, and I trust you in this. And I need you to show me what to do. The other day, Matt was working on his truck, the never-ending truck, (laughs) and he comes inside and he's in a panic, and he's like, have you seen this little bag with these little gaskets? I'm like, "No, what a gasket is? I mean, it sounds like a big metal thing to me, but obviously it's little rubber rings. Okay, I don't know. So, have you seen this little bag? It was on my desk. I'm like, no, blue lettering. I haven't seen it, baby. I'm sorry. Okay, and he's, I'm going to have to go across town, and it's just a $10 bag. It's ridiculous. It was on my desk, and I need it pray for me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, wake up Cassidy. Jesus is real in this situation. So we hold hands with his greasy oil stained hands all over my my hands. And I pray, I pray, Lord, give him wisdom, Lord. Show him what's wrong with this truck. Reveal it to him. Let it not be expensive, Lord, please. But let's reveal Let's find this thing. Let's do this. Okay? Please, Lord, you got to come through in this situation. And so I go on cooking and he goes back outside. A few minutes later, he comes in, Hallelujah! It was on my desk, and he found the packet. I'm like, right there, right there, Jesus was real to me. In that situation, Jesus was real to me. You know what? He delights in giving me the kingdom. He delights in finding gaskets and O-rings. He delights in being a part of my everyday thing. I'm cutting potatoes. I'm peeling potatoes the other day, and I take a chunk out of my finger. You know what? Jesus is in that with me. He's showing me things in that moment. He's building testimonies all day long. This goes back to the beginning of the message. My testimony is not how Jesus saved me. It's how he saves me every moment of every day. It's how I have to rely on him in every moment. Because I cannot make it without his peace. Do you know how sick you get when things are overwhelmed and you are struggling? and, And everything just seems too big. It's too much. I can't handle it, Lord. Not another thing. There's too much. And you remember, oh, my God. I didn't even seek you. I'm saying, Lord, this is too much, but I didn't even tell you about it. I didn't even come to you about it. I didn't even ask for your help. And of course you delight in helping me. Of course he's going to help you. We have to remember that, that he longs to be a part of our lives, Amen. even in the little things. I'm going to read you all something in Jeremiah. Kind 17. I only got, I feel like Eric, I only got two, two scriptures. Two scriptures. <laughs> I'll be quick. I know y'all are tired. I know it's Wednesday. It's hard to pay attention. And... It's good. It's
1: good.
0: Okay. Let's, let's uh, let Jesus say what he wants to say through this and we can uh, yeah. fellowship a little bit. Okay, Jeremiah 17, 7. This is so good. I found this this afternoon. Jesus was putting together this message and when I saw this, boy, I leaped out of my chair. I was so excited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. No rocks to get in the way. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You need to put this on your mirror You need to stop trusting in what your heart is telling you. Your heart is lying to you. It is deceitful. It is lying to you. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. The Lord can examine the heart. Your heart is lying to you. The Lord is going to uncover that for for you, show you what condition it's in, and then you got to do something about it. So what is our response to this? I want to tell you Peter. We've been talking about Peter all night, so let's turn to 1 Peter. I want to tell you what he said, what he learned from walking with Jesus, from this interaction with Jesus. He recognized that his heart was deceitful. It could not be trusted. So what did he do from all these lessons from the Lord? We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So trials, not only are the difficult things in our lives, but this is also when you're being corrected and you don't like it. It's whenever your flesh is screaming, that's a trial. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, when I first read this, I thought, oh, yeah, this is the point, to bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. No, he's talking about you there. All of these things is to prove your faith genuine so Jesus can praise you, glory in the work done in your life, and honor is revealed, honor is bestowed upon you for what you've done. Skip down to 13. So he tells us, Peter tells us, how do we do these things? How do we put all of this into practice? How are we going to produce fruit? Prepare your minds for action. Be prepared. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And as obedient children... Okay, set your hope fully on the grace. That's that casting down of those thoughts. That's the 2 Corinthians 10. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't give in to these desires. You've got to cut it off at its source. You remember the cycle of sin? Sin starts off as a desire that you're enticed with. You become pregnant with it, and then it gives birth to death. Right? We're going to cut it off at the source. We're not going to conform to these evil desires. We're not going to give in to them. We're going to cast these things down. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I want you to skip down to 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Purified yourself (laughs) by obeying the truth. Jesus told Peter when he was talking about the washing of the feet. You remember that? And he said... No, you don't need your whole body washed because I've been washing you with my word this whole time. Okay. Jesus said we got clean from, from the word being washed over us, right? But if we, we don't let that word in and it doesn't produce obedience, then it's not doing its work. Okay. Obedience equals fruit. So you can be washed by the word all day long. You can read this word all day long. But if you're not letting it penetrate your heart and produce obedience, then there's going to be no fruit. So turn real quick, this is the last scripture, 2 Peter 1, this is his other letter, I love Peter, I wish he would have written more letters, he just, I identify with him so much, 2 Peter 1, 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, these are the steps, okay, you get born again, that's your faith. Now you want to add goodness. You want to start doing good things. And to goodness, knowledge. Start learning about the Lord. Add to your good things, knowledge of who He is. And to knowledge, self-control. This is you putting into practice what you're learning about the Lord. And to self-control, perseverance. So perseverance is you doing that for a long period of time. And to perseverance, godliness. So when you do good things and when you operate in self-control and you're letting God's word change your heart and you do that for a long time, the result is you look like God, godliness. And to godliness, now we're going to add brotherly kindness. So why do you think he puts brotherly kindness at the end of all of this? Because to me, that's kind of part at the beginning, right? Start being good to your brother. It's only when you start looking like God that you can love like God. Amen. You gotta have brotherly kindness, but I don't. I mean, I don't really know how to love people, except for what Jesus has told me. We're all we all come from messed up families and messed up worlds and messed up um, things that have happened to us in our lives. We all have something bad in our in our history, right? We all have these things. But if that dictates to us how we love, then we're gonna be failures at it. We need God to show us how to truly love people. I mean, I've had I had. Good people in my family, good examples and bad examples, but none of them taught me how to love the way Jesus has taught me how to love. And so to brotherly brotherly kindness love, this is the culmination of it. This is what it truly looks like. Verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive leaf producers in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. You're messing up the soil of your heart if you're not producing these things in increasing measure. So I started off telling y'all that um, we're talking about a reflection of dirt. So what I want to leave you guys with, if you didn't get anything else from all my rambling and my nervousness and... I'm kind of off my game tonight. I, I apologize for that. But what I want y'all to get, what I feel like Jesus wants y'all to get, is that we have to rely on him to reveal our heart's condition. We cannot trust our heart, okay? We have to rely on him. And then it is our responsibility to respond to that revealing, that revelation. When he holds that up that mirror of dirt and we see the reflection of the dirt in our own hearts, our responsibility is to let his word penetrate in us. And what it should produce is a cycle of confession, repentance, and obedience. Okay? So as he begins to reveal things to you, show you, here's a rock, here's a thorn, here's a care of the world, confess, yes, Lord, you're right about that. Receive that pruning. Yes, Lord, you're right about that. Confession, then repentance. I'm not going to do that anymore, Lord. I choose to believe your word, and I'm going to walk in that from now on. That's repentance. And obedience is when you actually do what you told him you were going to do. How many times have you come down to the altar and promised the Lord that you were going to do this or you were going to do that and you haven't done it yet? Or how many times have you said it when you were in a desperate condition? Or how many times have you just said it because you just love Jesus and you're like, Peter, Lord, no, I I really intend. I'm going to die with you. We just make these promises to the Lord and we don't do what we say. We have to actually produce the fruit and not just talk about it. Otherwise, it's just leaves.